0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Change on the Run podcast, where we discuss common change challenges and ways to address them when you're short of time. And I'm your host, Phil Buckley. Today's topic is handling mistakes. Mistakes are inevitable when managing change. There are too many moving pieces on different schedules and run by different people to avoid missteps. Given the stress that major change initiatives inevitably produce, people can default to responses that deflect ownership, compromise resolution, and obscure learning when something goes wrong. This behavior adds risk to the project and damages relationships. A better and more difficult approach is to expect and address mistakes as they appear. So, how do you handle mistakes in ways that identify root causes, resolve issues, and make changes so they are less likely to happen again? And my guest today is Michelle Yanahan. Michelle, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Phil. So great to connect with you again and run through change. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Ah, Michelle, thank you so much for being here. And Michelle has over 20 years experience in change capability and competency development and change execution. She is the founder and principal of ChangeFit360, a change management training company with a behavior-based approach. Michelle holds an MS in management organizational behavior, as well as a CCMP, one of the first 500 granted and a ProSci Adcard change certificates. So, Michelle, what's been your experience with handling mistakes during change initiatives?
1: Phil, it's such a great question, because I think in organizations, there's this big misperception that when we execute change, it should or it needs to be perfect. You know, perfect delivery, perfect, fast adoption for people, immediately people getting proficient with change and absolutely no resistance or objection, no noise. And while that's not only realistic, it's actually detrimental, Phil to change. You know, perfection is the enemy of both creativity and learning, which are both helpful and completely necessary for good change. Now, I'm not saying that we should not strive to execute change well. We should. But rather, let's think about normalizing and embracing the imperfect in change. Things will never be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to find missed opportunities. And really what's most important is how we recover from those mistakes, failures and missed opportunities and how we really put them into teaching moments. I was speaking at a conference recently and I had the opportunity to listen into the keynote which was Sarah Blakely of Spanx. And if you know anything about Spanx and their story, it's undergarments for women, and she's really a hustler who didn't take no or failure as an option. And I think she got that in how she grew up. When she was growing up, her father, every night at the dinner table, would ask the children in the family not what they succeeded at, but rather what mistakes they made, what they'd failed at, and most importantly, and why he did this is what did he learn from the, what did they learn from those mistakes or moments of failure? That story really resonated with me. It stayed with me as such a powerful example of how we need to shift our thinking around when driving change, seeking perfection.
0: What a great story. And isn't it fascinating how we're brought up or when we're brought up in the corporate world to what we expect and then how we try to deliver that expectation. Handling mistakes is such a barometer of how a project is run. Why is it so important how people respond to handling mistakes to the project and also the organization?
1: Absolutely. As I said, not that we should not look to execute change the very best we can, but even if we anticipate, have the best project plan, to your point, have the best culture, have the best leaders, we're dealing with people. People are not black and white. So we need to expect and plan for mistakes. How we recover and learn from those mistakes is so much more important than that mistake itself. And one idea to consider and something I am really have embraced and am fascinated with is how we tend to focus on the deficit we tend to think about what didn't work what problems we can fix what do we need to solve and that's all very rational thinking and as humans we very much like to be problem solvers but when we're dealing with change It's not only about the rational, which is, I'll tell you what you need to know, and I'll teach you what you need to know. But it's also about dealing with the emotional, which is, how do I need to feel? What do I need to feel to really embrace and get through change? And if you think about that emotional component, how can we apply elements of positive psychology into change, even when things don't go 100% perfect or mistakes are made? Yes, recognize and notice and learn from those mistakes or imperfection, but also balance that with what's really good, what are the strengths of the organization, people, change, culture that we can build upon? When we do that, we are really appealing to that emotional side of folks, which complements or perhaps is even more important than leaning into that rational side, which is much more of that black and white.
0: Certainly. And isn't it interesting, the rational side tends to drive business performance and how we choose to measure results. It forces people into the, did we make it? Did we not? How are we deficient? A mistake means that we're not perfect. In most assignments, about milestones and what's the variance and and how are you going to explain yourself if it wasn't perfect? What do you think's going on there?
1: Yeah. So if you think about traditional or typical change, it's grounded in project management, which is black and white, right? The controls and the guardrails around the process. Very much, as you said, milestone-driven, deliverable-driven, did we reach what we needed to? And although that's important for controls and guardrails, which again goes back to that rational side, the emotional side, people don't neatly fit in that black and white box. People are very gray. It takes a great deal of courage for us to own up to our mistakes, particularly if you're in one of those organizations, or cultures, or maybe even a team, that is more punitive in nature, that we don't make mistakes. We're fearful of the repercussions of making a mistake. We like to move through the experience rather quickly, right, onto solving and not sitting with a discomfort. Although it's important to move on from the experience, sitting with that discomfort and reflecting on that mistake or that failure or that missed opportunity is really where the learning happens. So our attempt as humans to kind of move through it really fast, not wanting to own up to it and not really taking the time to be thoughtful about it as a learning moment is really a missed opportunity for us to have the ability to think that we're human. We all make mistakes, understand it's part of the learning process, own up to it and be thoughtful and intentional and kind of let it sit. What did I learn from this?
0: I find it fascinating, your point about these environments can be punitive. When you do make mistakes, there's punishment. And I think when we're in environments like that, we aren't at our best when we're responding to a mistake. And let's say it's a mistake that we've made or we've contributed to, and you get that emotional response, that immediate response. When we do reflect afterwards and say, hey, that wasn't my best self, what's going on there?
1: Well, I think sometimes we have to slow down to go fast. We have to step back a bit. I think that reaction occurs because nobody's trying to make mistake. It can be hard to own up to a mistake and we want to push through that discomfort rather quickly. So we're trying to get through the process so quickly and just sort of move on and especially in those punitive environments. But sometimes it's better, you know, go fast through that process, but then step back, be thoughtful and kind of think about you know, it's normal to make a mistake. I'm human. And can I reflect on this thoughtfully, intentionally? And I think that will help us as we make or go through our next mistake or our next failure, which Phil, you know, it's bound to happen. Again, I go back to, even if I have the best change execution ever, I have the best project delivery ever. I have the best project team ever. I have the best leaders ever. Something, something will not work exactly as planned. It's part of the process, and I I think where we started as organizations, we need to better anticipate, but also tell people that it's going to be okay, that this is part of the process. Normalize that not everything will be perfect. If we start using that as our talk track with our leaders, with our organizations, with our culture, I think we better prepare people, we normalize their expectations, and then we're not thinking that change needs to be perfect. And as soon as something isn't, people automatically sort of go down the rabbit hole of, well, this is horrible, you know, and and we all know that when you hear something negative versus something positive that that negative has more of a wildfire approach through an organization so i think we need to get a little bit more comfortable within organizations and as change practitioners normalizing that we're working with people which are not black and white and all those rational tools our project plan our deliverables our milestones that's all very black and white and although that can be more controlled when we're working with people who are gray we're going to do our very best, but something is not going to be perfect. And getting okay with that, I think, is the challenge for organizations and the challenge that we as change leaders need to bring forth in organizations, particularly as well as we're dealing with so much change. And we don't expect that to slow down anytime soon.
0: Given all of your expertise and training, let's say if you were going into an organization, the leadership team knows that a new approach is required. We're going to normalize mistakes and the value that they provide to be successful down the road. But you've got people that have been acclimatized to the old way. Any thoughts to listeners about how do you flip that script? How do you jog people out of that old expectation and embrace something or at least hold their disbelief to try something new?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question, Phil, and and certainly something a lot of organizations will need to contend with if they're not contending with it now in the near-term future. I think at the top, we have to set the tone. The culture needs to embrace that, but probably most importantly, and I talk about this with the behavior-based approach to change, is those people leaders, those frontline leaders that have individual contributors that work directly for them, they set priority, they set direction, and they set tone. So those leaders, how they show up, becomes so critical. So to flip the script, really it is about the leaders not only voicing that this is what we're doing, but role modeling the way around how mistakes and failures and missed opportunities can be leveraged. Coaching leaders and not an easy task Phil, by any stretch to kind of change the culture. We have to start from the top, role modeling the way, right? Behaving that, hey, yep, we made a mistake, owning up to it. We missed that. But here's how we're going to quickly resolve and recover and showing when we do that, when we resolve and recover, how we were able to do that and how the organization, culture, teams and leaders embrace that. So really making that mistake or failure recovery more visible. I think that's the only way that we normalize mistakes and recovery, but also, also critically important to build agility and resiliency into the culture, leaders, everyone in the organization through that act.
0: Absolutely. I was on a a large change years ago and I made what I felt was a big mistake. I started talking about how are we going to behave as leaders and it was the, the steering committee and how we want to encourage and enable change. It's not going to be perfect my lesson was I had an intellectual conversation with leaders about the role modeling that they should do. What I didn't do is illustrate what that looked like when mistakes actually happen. So of course, everyone agreed, of course, mistakes are going to happen. Of course, it can't be 100%. And everyone left and especially me thinking, great, I've changed the world. And as soon as that first mistake happened, since people didn't have a bridge from the concept to the execution, they tended to default. How do you go about presenting? scenarios so that people do understand what it means and, and what good looks like for them when something actually happens in the moment.
1: Yeah, uh, you bring up a great question, Phil, and I too in my change career with my change agents and leaders said, okay, here's what we need to do and the head nods occur and then everybody goes back to their desk and if it's not simple, if it's not practical, if they don't have sort of a roadmap to your point, you know, it's like, well, that's one more thing for me to do and therefore I'm not going to do it and then we fall back into our old behaviors. One thing that I've been trying to do more recently is what I call make it easy and kind of spoon feed vehicles and things that can help. Help. And so some things that I've tried to do and not perfect, again, the theme of our conversation, but for leaders and for change agents and people on the ground is create toolkits and other things that they can help facilitate. Not only, you know, sharing messages, but encouraging an open dialogue and also providing scenario based ideas in these scenarios. Here's actions and or things you can do and or discuss. So it's not perfect. The theme of our conversation, but we've got to start somewhere. And I think once folks start to leverage some of these vehicles and start to build the muscle, we need to give folks opportunities to build the muscle. And just like change, we need to practice, practice, practice this idea of recovering from mistakes and failures before it becomes muscle memory. Recently, I saw something in the European School of Psychology where they did a study that they said that you need to do a behavior on average 66 times, 66 times for it to become muscle memory. And although that sounds like a lot, if you think about it, in a typical day, we probably repeat, repeat, repeat several times, many things. So if you think about 66 days on its face, you say, okay, that's two months. But In actuality, especially with change and or if we're reacting or recovering from a mistake, we're going to do things over and over again, much more than one time a day. So that 66 times, you know, depending on the change you're doing, depending on how you're recovering from a mistake is shrunk down. So it's not actually 66 days. And that was an average. So again, we've got things that are much less than that. So practice, practice, practice. Again, it's not going to happen overnight. We've got to build muscle memory for change leaders and folks out there, leaders, it's about what are those key messages, what are those scenario-based things that we can do to help recover from those mistakes and normalize them into our change process.
0: Do you have an example in your career where a leader did expose her, his error to a team that was a great role model to say, if I can do this, then everyone can too?
1: Yeah, I've had some great leaders in my career. I've been very fortunate. I would say first, the leader recognized and owned that they had made a mistake. There are some leaders that are going to shift the blame to the team or somebody else in the organization. It's not my fault or my problem. It's this person's problem. So first of all, the great leader owned up to the mistake and just by doing that sort of set the stage to the team that you too can make a mistake own up to it it's part of the learning process the leader owning up is saying I'm human as well, humanizing mistakes as learning without saying this leader was saying to the team, yes, we're not trying to make mistakes. We're trying to be the best we can, but I'm not smarter than you. I'm not better than you. I'm not going to blame you. So that to me created not only this human element, but also this element of trust. A bad leader can Push blame onto the team. That's not my problem. It was my team's problem. Just by the leader owning up to the mistake and being able to say, I'm human. Here's how we're going to recover. Not only normalized mistake making and or failure for the team, which I think also led to us being able to take a little bit more risk, which is risk is part of what we do. It's part of how we grow and learn. But that element of trust is so critical for not only good leadership, but the ability of the team to be cohesive productive and high-performing.
0: What a great example. And I love your point about people will take more risks, believing that it's the right thing to do without considering, well, what are the implications for me if it goes wrong, which actually de-risks the project that they're working on. Assuming that we have a good environment, that we are trying to learn from our mistakes, what would be the steps that you would recommend for someone who's working a project? You know, she or he realizes oh, a mistake has happened. They're part of it. What are the steps that you go through or you'd recommend to communicate it, to learn from from it and to move on.
1: Yeah, so first I would start with what I just reflected on. I think we have to give ourselves as humans grace. And I think this perhaps is one of the hardest things to do. We are all generally so hard on ourselves. I know I am. We will all make mistakes. And secondly, with that, this idea about if somebody else in the room is making the same mistake that I'm making, I'm often not as hard on them as I am on myself. So that idea of giving ourselves grace, kind of pausing and, oh, it happened, I'm human. I think that's critical. And I think in the moment, sometimes we forget about that element. Secondly, let's put it into perspective. Let's think about how much this mistake matters in three hours from now, three days, three weeks, three months, three years, 30 years. In the moment, it feels larger than life. But using that time box, is it really going to matter in three hours, three days, three weeks, three months? Most things don't right? Once we put them into the right perspective. And probably the most important is stepping away from it. Maybe not in the moment. Maybe we need a little bit of time to get through it, but spending some time reflecting on that mistake as a teaching moment, kind of back to Sarah Blakely and her father. What mistakes did you make? What missed opportunities came to you? And most importantly, what did you learn? When we think about it in terms of change, can we use our experience to be more empathetic which is such a huge part of change and really dealing with that emotional side. How can we use that mistake to think about how we better connect with those that go through change, that will have challenges, that will make mistakes, that will miss opportunities? How can we use the experience for a positive to build from?
0: Oh, that's great. And I wonder what role does communicating mistakes play in creating an environment where we are better change leaders and not only for the team, but potentially for the whole organization? Is it something that you'd support like saying, hey, here are the big mistakes we've made and this is what we've learned from them or Would you not do that?
1: You know, I think it's really important in communicating at all levels, formally and informally, to be honest and authentic. I think that people, when we try to push stuff under the rug or snow job, people see right through that. I think people very much appreciate the idea that we are being honest and authentic. It's important to say, hey you know, this didn't work exactly right and here's what we're doing about it, the recovery again. And on that point, Phil, I was working on a change that had been going on for years and they'd had a lot of stop and starts, a lot of stop and starts. And so the organization was very frustrated and here we go again. And so we were talking about how do you within an organization, kind of do the stop start. And if you think about the stop start is failure mistakes or wrong timing. And I said, I think it's really important when we communicate to put it out there that we have had stop and starts. And here's how it's different. Here's what we've learned. So again, using those stop starts, those missed opportunities or mistakes more as a learning journey and communicating that out to the organization. Here's what's going to be different this time around. So critically important, I think, to use that language, to be honest and authentic, and also not only kind of speak that speak, but role model that across the organization I think people see a snow job a mile away. And I think also if we try to sell all the great things about the change and we sort of don't talk about what hasn't worked, what those missed opportunities are and what we've learned, people start to check out and say, oh, here's another go round of that or same old story, different day. So right away, we lost some of that momentum. We're better off in your scenario to put it out there and talk about how we're going to leverage it going forward. What's different
0: this time? Beautiful. Thank you. And getting back to culture, if there was a culture that was more punitive or, or more traditional in the sense that trying to be perfect and, and that's our goal. And it, it gives us that sense of comfort. But then there's a work track within the project team that has a very different view. And the inspired leader wants to be trust making and handling mistakes as a learning opportunity. Any tips about how do you create a biosphere or an area if you're not able to impact the whole culture, but you have your own team and you do have an ability to influence them? Do you have any tips for that type of leader?
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. And I think even in a punitive culture, the leader set the tone for that individual team. So certainly that leader can help by again being honest and authentic about their own mistakes and failures and what they've learned from them. And strive to be great, but not be fearful of making mistakes or risk taking. And again, that comes from the leader not only setting the tone with communications, but also really enabling and displaying that behavior themselves. And When mistakes, missed opportunities happen, talking about them and not letting people beat themselves up, but more importantly, being able to recover from those mistakes quickly. So the team getting together and enabling one another, working together, that makes a great team, right? We get the most productive teams, not because they haven't made mistakes It's more importantly how they come together, how they work and balance off each other's strengths in those tough times that make them high-performing teams. The leader really sets the stage for that.
0: Absolutely. Is there a role in rewards or mechanisms on on how to help that? And one example, I was speaking at a change conference years ago. We're just talking about culture and how it guides project teams. There was a government example where I think it was a senator that the project team would be able to communicate their status in in the traffic light, yellow, red, or green. And the observation is that everyone was green. And, And as we might have all experienced that, but the desire was to be able to speak to the supreme leader. And, and sort of show your stuff. They changed one mechanism and they said, okay, you'll only be presenting to the leader if you are yellow or red. And guess what happened? A month later, people are yellow, you know, people are red and just one little mechanism changed people's behaviors. And do you have any reflections on that?
1: I do. I do change readiness assessments, always prior to go live and sometimes after UAT or pilot. And similarly, when I first started to do them, I would ask people, how ready do you feel? Somewhat ready, fully ready or not ready on different elements, process, technology, etc. So interestingly enough, in a facilitated discussion, you get somewhat groupthink, right? And everybody wants to say we're fully ready for change. But interestingly enough, if you ask a different question, if somebody says they're fully ready for change, uh, I started to ask, well, what makes you think we're fully ready for change? What is sitting behind your green in your stoplight example? And people would start to say then, well, I think we're fully ready, but yet this, and oh, I forgot about this. And so that allowed me to dig a little deeper and say, well, are we really fully ready? If you're telling me for the process as an example, that process maps are not approved, that a couple steps in the process are not ready to go, etc. So interestingly enough, very similar to your spotlight example film on the project status, people would say one thing, but then when they were given the opportunity to put some color behind it, their kind of color really didn't match up with their original stoplight, let's say. I think there's something to be said so much for if we have the opportunity and change in your example as well, to actually talk to people and not maybe just get Uh, feedback via survey, you can get behind that red, yellow, or green. People want to be green, especially if other people in the room are green. And to be able to tease out or pull forward what is really happening behind that green, just like your example, this was for change readiness. Yours for was for project status. We get more color and it's a more balanced outcome. And then we find we can tease out things that are not perfect or not right or not exactly there. And in doing so, we can action them forward without learning that color behind or your amber or red can't action things forward. So it's really important to pull those out as a positive.
0: What a great response, Michelle. That's so telling and so helpful. There's some responses that I've had to mistakes, especially earlier in my career, that I'd regret or I realized it was the wrong thing to do. So it would have been an emotional response. It would have been trying to go through quickly. And then I reflect on it and go, well, I wish I hadn't done that. The high road would have been to do this. Do you have any recommendations for someone who goes through that process? How do you go about trying to correct the initial response that you had?
1: I think in the moment, we all have that emotional response and it's very easy to make a wrong decision or try to correct very quickly, kind of push it down as we've discussed. We're all human. We're all going, you know, probably do that. It's the ability to step back and and really think through it. And perhaps I can give a quick example here. I had gone, I had left a company and gone to a different job. And that job had turned out to be a disaster. And it was starting to impact my health. And so I had decided I was going to leave that job without another job to go to. And this is the first time I'd ever done this, Phil. And I was really feeling like a failure you know, I can't make this. I'm going to quit. I've made a horrible mistake taking this job, leaving a good job and coming here. And now I'm going to be a quitter, the ultimate form of failure. And in that moment, I did feel I had let myself down. I'm not reaching a goal, kind of all these arbitrary things that I would put in front of me. And now several years later, maybe this little analogy will help in how we think about mistakes or failure and opportunities. A tree has many branches. Some are short, some are very long. They're not all meant to be the same. So in my example, reflecting back, and it took me many years, Phil, to get to this point, kind of think about this story. That job or that mistake or that opportunity was a small branch in my career. If you think about the tree as my career or you think about the tree as your life you're going to have small branches, right? You're going to have missed opportunities, failures. If we quickly recover from them, think of them as a small branch, leading to other branches growing on our tree a learning opportunity. So I can look back at that failure that, wow, you know, this is not at all turned out the way I wanted it to. And now I'm here and I got to start over. And I think about that now as my tree, that that mistake, that failure, that opportunity was not meant to be a long branch, but rather a short branch that later I learned from. And the tree just continues to grow forward. I oftentimes reflect on that analogy when I have made a mistake. And that is, Okay, that happened, short branch, but what can I take from it and build into the tree? How do I leverage that opportunity, that failure, that mistake in what I do going forward?
0: I love that analogy. What an excellent way to look at the lessons from the past. And what I'm taking away is part of the process of building and growing for the future, which absolutely can be really different from how we look at things in our lives. So thank you so much for that. And in the spirit of change on the run, if you only had one action that you could take to help you handle a mistake that's happened to react or to respond to it, the one that would give you 80% of the results and 20% of the time, what would that be?
1: I think it starts with embrace the fact that we're all human. And that in virtue of itself means that we will make mistakes. We will have failures. We will have missed opportunities. We will have disappointments. Our best laid plans, again, back to change, best laid project plan, best laid resources, best laid change execution, things will happen. And what is less important is that things happen. What is more important is that we flex And we recover quickly and we use those mistakes and opportunities and failures as learning and growth. And we take that forward into not only how we grow and evolve as human, but how we can leverage that when we drive our next change to better empathize with people, think about how we put that into perspective and build it as a branch onto our next change.
0: Great. Just as we close off, Is there a final thought, an insight, or a piece of advice for our listeners about handling their mistakes?
1: Thanks, Phil. And it's been so great to be with you today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Again, I think it's all about being human and being human at all levels of an organization as well as everything we do. Our leaders won't be perfect. Our organizational culture may not be perfect. Our top-level leaders won't do everything right all the time. Just like we are. We're all imperfect. And so embracing that, really trying to build it into the culture, one change project one team, one leader at a time, it can only benefit us in terms of our agility and ability, resilience for change as we move forward. So anything we can do around that is really a strength of humans, the organization, people, and leaders.
0: Outstanding. Thanks, Michelle, and thanks for sharing your experience and your advice. How can people get in contact with you?
1: Thanks, Phil. Would love for people to get in contact with me. Changefit360.com or feel free to reach out via email. I would love to hear from you at Michelle with two L's at changefit360.com. Feel free to reach out. We'd love to connect with you. And thanks again, Phil. It's been great. I always love chatting with fellow change folks and hope we can connect soon.
0: Me too. And thank you so much for taking the time and thank you to the listeners. And until the next time, I wish you all the best as you continue to lead change.